Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, a zoo beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. Joined, as always, not always, but most of the time by Ben Fredrickson, columnist at the Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com as well. We took last week off. It was the bye week. Uh, had a lot going on, and uh, it was time to uh, recharge and regroup, as Eli Drinkwitz said. We did that on the podcast, too, and now we're we're back at you on the uh recording this the day before Missouri's homecoming game against Vanderbilt. Ben, how you doing? We've got some football to talk about. We are at the halfway point, at least of Missouri's season, getting ready to kick off the second half. Uh, pretty pivotal game Saturday, pretty pivotal second half of this season for Eli Drinkwitz in this program. I'm rested. Uh, my bumps have, uh, have been healed after the bye week. We're ready to roll. I mean, the most important thing this week, though, Dave, it's not about the second half of this season. It's not about a must-win slash can't-lose game. It's not about the quarterback discussion going on in Como. It's about these uniforms the Missouri Tigers are going to wear on homecoming, the gold-plated face mask helmets, the bumblebee tops looking like the uh, old-school Washington Commanders, Guardians. I always get that one mixed up. Oh, that's – Okay. Um, uh, Yeah, it's the – no, I'm kidding. I'm being sarcastic, but – Breaking out the uniforms, which always always seems to go over either well or terribly with the fans. There's no middle ground when the alternate uniforms come out to play. I, I mean, they're all alternate at this point, aren't they? <laughs> I can't remember what is their what is their traditional. And I uniform? I know like I know this it triggers Missouri fans, especially when the head coach makes reference to it because that clearly means he is sitting around his office stitching together new uniforms and. <laughs> Putting, Eli's putting, in the Nike. Eli's in the Nike headquarters, like uh, dipping the uh, face masks in, yes. in the gold paint. He's sitting at his desk, put, <laughs> applying decals to the helmets, just ignoring his red zone offense, and um, putting yeah, putting the stickers on and, and painting the face mask. But honestly, they have a whole staff of people to do things like this. The head coach does not. Uh, it it put it this way. Some some fans spend more time agonizing, complaining over the over the uniforms than the head coach spends even thinking about them. Um, but it's a topic that comes up all the time. And listen, watch college football. Nobody, there's like three teams that have like consistent uniforms. Notre Dame wears different uniforms all the time. Now, Oklahoma does. I, I barely recognized them last time I saw them on TV. Ohio state always has an alternate uniform week. So it's, it's what it is in 2022. Don't get too upset about it because chances are it'll be different next week anyway. I, I will uh, defend the people who are honked off just a little bit. And look, you've had to embrace a lot of changes. That's not going to change. I mean, look at professional teams now are rolling out the alternate uniforms. It's oh, yeah. Trickled up. You know what? And, and why? Well, because they want to sell more stuff. Let's right. call it for what it is. And it, the recruits like it, and that's cool. But it's mostly because they want to sell stuff. I just, if you're going to go alternate, if you're going to go multiple all the time, then make them look cool. I just don't like the look of this this one it looks to me like it's almost like it's like it's like an fcs uniform or something and i know they've changed the golds and i get it um it's their gold now so i just don't know that i would be so heavy-handed with uh with that still getting used to gold but uh i i'm 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 a traditionalist on the uniforms to some degree i like i like the block m i like that kind of uh cartoon tiger i don't love it on the helmet but you know 
none of this matters when it comes to playing the game and winning it. And if, if they go out and take care of business against Vanderbilt, then people will probably like the uniform much more than if they don't. And then they have a disaster situation on their hands, also in a controversial uniform. So I wish uh, we can we talk more about tied to performance. Can we talk more about like what the sports writers are going to wear to the game too? I think it's about as interesting as what team wears. Nobody ever asks that. Nobody ever asks what I'm wearing, what, what pants I'm wearing. Am I going jeans or khaki? You you are one of the more fashionable guys in the uh, press box there. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I try. I actually like got out a tie for the last home game and I put it on for a second. I'm like, wait a second. This is not a wedding. This is not a funeral. I do not need to wear a tie. Um, I'm going to spill something on it anyway. And uh, so I went tieless, just the uh, open collar, maybe get like a bolo, maybe that'd be, a Ooh, that'd be sharp. Yeah. The, the Rick Hummel okay. is the Rick Hummel rule is a tie in any, in any, uh, any game that's, that's under, I think like 80 degrees. Oh, okay. So he checks the uh, temp there and that's to be 83 crazy. on Saturday. So, well, then you're probably okay. Tie I might go short sleeves even. So, okay. Uh, just be no shorts. Usually is the uh, oh no shorts. No, absolutely not. <laughs> God no. Let's, Come on I mean, yeah. You, you, some some guys like to have the extra cargo shorts so they can take more more food from the media buffet. But that's that that can be a it's problem. Not a problem at Missouri. <laughs> okay. Uh, you mentioned you're not covering a uh, a funeral. So what does Mizzou have to do to keep from this feeling like one? I mean, look, Vanderbilt. They're getting better. I think. I think Clark Lee is doing probably as good of a job as a coach who's trying to restore Vanderbilt in the post-James Franklin era can do, Dave. But let's not pretend like this is some team on the rise. They're they're coming off of three straight tail kickings by very good top 10 teams. Yeah, Every ranked team they've played this season, they've allowed more than 45 points. Um, their defense is, is problematic. Their offense has some – decent numbers but some of them come kind of in lopsided games um but what, what do we know about this Vanderbilt team and really this kind of feels like a game that's more about Missouri I've, I've dubbed it a, not a must win but a can't lose um it feels a lot more about how does Missouri minimize some of the mistakes that were costing the Tigers early in the season after a bye week what can Brady Cook do coming out of a bye week after there's been a lot of discussion about maybe what Eli could or should do at the quarterback position. And also, I think part of this is how healthy is Missouri. Um, they've had some pretty costly injuries. It sounds like some guys are should be good to go in this game, but believe it when you see it. Yeah, yeah. I think Vandy, they're kind of like the opposite of Missouri. They've got a defensive head coach who was a defensive coordinator, but his defense is no good. And his offense is at least pretty competent. I mean, they against in their non-conference games, they were able to put up some points scored a ton against Hawaii, which isn't, that doesn't say much. And uh, beat Elon, they beat Northern Illinois, not much of a resume. It's hard to kind of measure them side by side against Missouri because they've played really good teams, the power five teams, at least. I mean, everybody, all four of them are at least ranked in the top 13. Wake Forest is the worst one. And they're one of the better teams in the ACC that played just a murderer's row schedule in the SEC, it's the first time I think in the history of the AP poll that Vandy's played three straight top 10 teams uh, in Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss. And the Ole Miss game was, it was competitive for a while. I mean, even at halftime, uh, they put a little bit of a scare into the Rebels. They just haven't been able to sustain drives. You know, they've got some pretty productive wide receivers. You dig into the numbers a little bit, though, when a lot of Vandy's passing yards come when, you know, they're already trailing by a couple touchdowns. So, 
could be a little bit of a garbage time situation with some of those numbers that, that might not be all that legit. Um, but a freshman quarterback, AJ Swan, he's, he's hasn't thrown an interception yet. And he's got those two wideouts. Um, you know, they're just, they're still just coming along under Clark Lee. He has had two top 35 recruiting classes, which is pretty good for Vandy. I mean, they've, if you believe in recruiting rankings, he's bringing in more talent from the high school level than programs that, you know, traditionally are a lot better than Vanderbilt, um, you know, power five teams. So it seems like he's doing some good things. They just, they just haven't seen the results yet, but in fairness, they haven't had the luxury of playing a Florida or an Auburn yet in the sec, who knows what they would be able to do against kind of the lesser teams in the conference. And frankly, they get a shot on Saturday because Missouri's right there with them as the uh, only team in the league that doesn't have a conference. When I think there's only, after Thursday night's game, I think there's only five power five teams that haven't won a conference game yet. These two, Vanderbilt, Missouri, I believe Stanford. No, Stanford beat Notre Dame last week, so that's a decent win. Uh, Iowa State, and then I want to say maybe Rutgers, and that's it. Like, it's a pretty small list of teams because Virginia got their first S- first ACC win Thursday night. Otherwise, man, it's uh, not many teams have, at this level have not tasted success yet, and Missouri's obviously right there. Yeah, Iowa came pretty close to beating Texas um, last weekend, so yeah. it could have been scratched off that list too. And this kind of sets the stage here. Um, you know, take us through the history here. Vanderbilt's last SEC win came against Missouri, and it was a pretty rough but true indication of what can happen to a Missouri football coach who loses to Vanderbilt. Walk us through the history lesson there, Dave, because things were kind of starting to look better for Barry Odom. He kind of had some momentum and then came a road loss to Vanderbilt in 2019. And he was, uh, it was downhill after that. Yeah. That was the year they opened with that awful loss at Wyoming. Uh, But then they won five in a row, uh, including a nice homecoming win over Ole Miss Actually, that was Missouri's last sellout, also last home sellout. And uh, things were pretty good, felt pretty good. Georgia, that same day, Georgia lost to South Carolina. Missouri actually had a share of first place in the SEC East. And I remember very young media types and players talking a lot about that in the postgame interview, which was kind of threw up a red flag for me. Like, uh oh, here we are. It's uh, October 12th, and you guys are talking about being in first place. And what do you know, a week later, Missouri goes to Vandy and loses 21 to 14. That was the first of five straight losses for the Tigers. We know how that season ended. Uh, they, they did beat Arkansas, but Barry Odom uh, lost his job the next day. And that Vandy loss was definitely, you know, the beginning of the end. And it was also the, the end of <laughs> Vandy's winning in the SEC. They have not won an SEC game since then. They, they went winless the rest of that season. 2020, the weird COVID year, they didn't get any SEC wins that year. Um, They did have the Sarah Fuller story, so they did have some headlines, uh, you know, at least for a few days there. But Derek Mason gets fired, and Clark Lee comes aboard, and they go winless last year, and they, like we said, are over year in the league. So they're riding a 24-game losing streak in the conference, and – they have, I, I did the math the other day, and I'm not good at math, but they have as many shutouts in that series, in that those 24 games, four, than they have losses by single digits. So they have not been uh, very close in many of those 24 straight losses, which, which adds to the stakes of this game for Missouri. You just, like you said, 
whether you want to call it a must win or can't lose, you got to get out of this game with a win. You just, you just have to for the short term, if we're talking about bowl eligibility still. And then I think for the long term, not, not just coach security, job security, but like overall trajectory and direction and any sense of momentum. I think they'll have a good crowd Saturday. They've had good crowds this year so far. Um, the biggest crowds under Drinkwitz. Biggest crowd since going back to that homecoming game in 2019, the win over Ole Miss. But you lose to Vandy and you you jeopardize all of that. I mean, this, the story is there and it's what Eli has been trying to kind of throw logs on the fire of, of, hey, this team is getting closer. It's getting better. It's close. A turn is coming. And the schedule could could kind of invite that. Obviously, it has to start now with Vanderbilt. South Carolina is a beatable football team. Kentucky is good, but but not unbeatable. Tennessee is probably unbeatable, uh, after, especially after what they showed against Alabama. New Mexico State and then Arkansas, which has really kind of come back to earth, got a nice win against, uh, against BYU, probably a better team than Missouri, but things weird things happen at the end of the season. But if, you, if you're going to build that narrative of, hey, here comes the turn, this team's figuring it out, after a bye week at home, on homecoming, against Vanderbilt, a team that, you know, we just mentioned hasn't beaten a, an SEC opponent in 24 tries. Like, there's really no – there's no way to have a moral <laughs> victory and a loss. There's really no good way to have a close win. I mean, this – you really – this – if you're going to spin the narrative of this team kind of starting to find its groove in the second half, this needs to be a convincing win. And I think a lot of what that will come down to is really what Missouri does. I don't think that there's anything that Vanderbilt can do to really slow down Missouri. If Missouri plays the best version of the game, it can play. If it plays, does a lot of what it did against Georgia without the self-inflicted you know, mistakes, then it should win this game. And it should win it, you know, by by fourteen plus points easily. Um, but but they got to do that. Um, you know, that's it. Seems like Eli's made that a point in in the bye week during practices of like cleaning some things up on on Missouri's end and and stop kind of this process of of really making a play or two or a penalty or two or three that that put them in a bad spot in games. When you look back at their last three, Dave, three points overtime loss Auburn. You know, four points lost, Georgia, two huge penalties loom in that game. Florida, um, you know, a touchdown. You had one of the worst pick sixes in the in the history of college football um, at Auburn, of course, had the ball dropped on the goal. I mean, there are moments that are going against Missouri that Missouri's doing to themselves that have cost them three games now. And you can also say, hey, if you correct some of those, maybe you're not guaranteed to win all those games, but you probably would have won two of them at least. Yeah, absolutely. And I think – you know, the, the bye week kind of gives coaches a chance to kind of, you know, fix a narrative a little bit or at least, hey, make uh, come out of it with some kind of clear and concise message. And and Drinkwitz this week, you know, put the focus on on three areas. One's the penalties. They've got to cut down on those and, and mostly on offense and really mostly on the offensive line. Yep. Um, a lot of the holding stuff we've talked about. Uh, which is just bad technique, being out of position and grabbing. Getting beat, when, yeah. When when you get beat, you know, trying to save your quarterback from getting killed, you gotta you gotta hold. Um, 
that's one. The other one is is punching in touchdowns when you get in the red zone. You've got a great kicker. Everybody loves Harrison Mevis, but this team is better when they're getting touchdowns instead of instead of three pointers. So they need to be better there in the red zone, especially. And then the other one is just the fourth quarter. They've uh, and that's that kind of falls on the defense. You don't want to put too much on this defense, uh, too much blame, because they've only allowed two offensive touchdowns in each of the SEC games. Usually when you do that, you're going to win a bunch of games. You're, you're fine. Like you can in today's college football and look at these wacky scores we're seeing with really good teams. You know, Alabama's given up all these yards. Tennessee's a good team. They gave up a ton of points in yards. Uh, so when you only give up two offensive touchdowns, you should win that game. But they haven't. They're 0-3. And I think if you want to find some fault with the defenses, they're, they're running out of gas a little bit in the fourth quarter, some of these games. And again, you know, they're carrying the load. So you you don't want to say, hey, it's all on you guys, because it's not. But you got they have to be accountable for something. And they, they have let down a little bit in the fourth quarter. Uh, I don't think there's finger pointing. I don't think those guys on defense are saying, hey, you know what, we're doing all we can. No, you're not. If you, if you were, it'd be a shutout. So that's how they got to approach it. Two is too many. Two touchdowns yeah. a game is just too many. So if you, uh, you know, if, if you lift that standard a little bit more and say they got to be better in the fourth quarter, maybe that's the difference. So I, I think it's smart to just kind of narrow down what they need to fix in those areas. Uh, we need to get to the quarterback situation because that's what everybody gets, uh, you know, obsesses over and, and, you know, wants to hear about and talk about. And they, fans want to see a change. I don't think we're going to see a change Saturday when the game kicks off. Uh, it's going to be Brady Cook. I thought Brady this week, you know, he talked to the media. And I, I was really, I was impressed by what he said, his demeanor. He was serious. He was, uh, for lack of a better word, he was pissed off. I thought he gave the right if he gave the right response you want from your quarterback who's struggling and was on a three-game losing streak. He put it all on himself. Uh, not every interception is completely on the quarterback, but he put it on himself. He said, "Here's what I need to do to." Uh, he, he diagnosed both of those interceptions at Florida really without pretty much unprompted. He just went into it and, and described what went wrong. He's a really smart quarterback, but he's still kind of learning on the go. Uh, we're going to see him out there start the game. There's no indication it won't be him. But does he finish the game? Does does he play every series? I think that's a better way to phrase it. I don't think we know the answer to that yet. Yeah, I'd love to see Eli get Sam Horn a series or two and just see how he responds. Not because I'm convinced that he should be the starter. I wouldn't start him. I'd start Brady. But I, I do think if you're Eli, you if you're seeing some good things in practice and it sounds like he, he has been, you owe it to the team and yourself to see how that can, can work or not in a game. Yeah. Um, in a small sample size. And, and, you know, you can still do that while having confidence in cook. Maybe you don't feel like you can do it until a game's outcome is decided one way or the other. But I mean, I, I think Gary Pinkle had it pretty good Dave, where he gave the next guy a series. It was predetermined in the game, no matter what. And he was very rigid about not coming off of that or not making rash decisions in a game based off of that. And he made his decision-making before the game and then stuck with it during the game. And maybe it took some people getting used to, but they came to understand like he's, he's playing to win now, but also sprinkling in a little bit of, of, of work for the future ahead. And it really worked out well. So I think, I think I could use that, that, that version of the Pinkle method there, and it would probably help him a little bit. The thing is, and, and I, I think Eli's been pretty clear about this, you can't go to a team 
during a bye week, especially, and say, hey, we're going to hammer down on practice, on all of the details, on doing everything right, on minimizing these mistakes, and practice is going to dictate how we play. You can't give that message entering a bye week and then come out on Saturday and start the quarterback who didn't earn it in practice that week. Right, right. I mean, that that that's you might as well you have to follow through on what you say or else you're a joke to your players. So I, I think he's right in, in defending Cook as a starter. If that's what he's seeing in practice, we see, you know, little snippets of practice. He sees the whole thing. I can't imagine Eli sitting there going, hey, and I say this, he sitting there while he's uh, dipping the face masks in gold paint going, of course. well, I got a quarterback who can help me win, but I'm going to continue to slow play him. I mean, I don't think he's in that spot. I mean, we just talked about how the conversation around his job security could change after a loss to Vanderbilt, he's going to start the quarterback that's most likely to get him a win in that game. I think fans tend tendency to think about who can make the biggest throw down the field, who maybe can make the highlight real play. And I think a coach is going to be more like, who's not going to mess up what we do most often. Right. And right. I think that's still Brady. And that's, that's what he's challenged Sam to, to improve at is, Hey, you can make a great throw but you got to know which way to turn on this handoff. You got to know who to read on this play. It's the bread and butter of what we do and you're not there yet. So, right. you know, is there a way they can pare things down to maybe get him a look with, while still rolling with cook and keeping confidence in him? I think so easy for me to say, I'm not the one trying to, you know, keep the, keep the, the chemistry right in a locker room. So no one should be, no one should expect anything other than cook starting this game. But I do think, you know, after a bye week, with some Eli kind of throwing some praise on some of the, on, on some of the young guys, specifically Horn, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see him. Um, and then how he plays, if he gets that shot, will, will be the next information we have to discuss this. But I've been a little just kind of, uh, I guess it's predictable, but this idea that it has to be either start Cook or start Horn, no, it, it can be play Horn a little bit, but you've got to make sure that that he's not going to, make a game worse and you also got to make sure that that you know you feel like he's proven that and earned that in practice and if if he feels like the game is on the line then Eli's number one priority is always going to be to try to win because he's trying to 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 avoid you know this thing getting off down the wrong path so I, I guess the, the disappointing thing is so far right now is that maybe there's not more of a quarterback competition or maybe that they're not having you know the kind of play that they hope to get at the position which that shouldn't be that stunning, Dave. There was a reason Eli Drinkwitz went out and tried to get quarterback transfers. Yeah, Daniel at LSU has got ten touchdowns, one pick. We were writing and talking about this during the off season. He's recruiting these guys for a reason, and there was a pushback of, "Well, no, he's he's really just looking for a backup," or, "Well, no, this is really just a test of Brady Cook." And it was Brady Cook stayed loyal to the program, but Eli Drinkwitz wasn't bringing three Power Five transfers onto his campus for nothing. He, right. he didn't get what he thought he needed, and now he's trying to make the, the best of the situation. Cook getting better after a bye week is going to be a big part of that. I mean, this is a real test of Brady, and it sounds like he knows it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's That was my takeaway when I came away from, from that. He wasn't saying, hey, you know, my receivers need to stop getting pushed off of their route because that's what happened at Florida. And it well, was and they do. <laughs> they, they do, but that's – to his credit, he's not saying that. Right. He's saying, I, I got to squeeze the ball. I can't throw it when I see that happen, even though – you know, sometimes it happens after he already releases the ball. He's not blaming the O-line. Um, you know, he's not saying, hey, my protection needs to be better. No, I I just need to get rid of the ball faster or I need to I need to escape the pocket. 
so he's he's pretty savvy when it comes to those things, just on on the messaging, what he needs to say. Um, you know, I'm I'm going to be interested to see what the receiving core looks like. You know, Dominic Lovett and Luther Burden are both kind of nursing some ankle injuries, but they they are listed as probable and expected to play. Uh, more than that, I, I kind of want to see what tweaks there might be to the offense, and I think they might be subtle. But the things that Eli talked about this week, and he's pretty transparent talking about things they need to they need to do. He's talking about getting Cook uh, changing his launch point, which to me means getting him out, rolling him out, getting him on some bootlegs, uh, so that you know that can buy him some time, and he's not just he used the phrase so he's not a sitting duck in the pocket. I think that can that can work for him. That's those are things you couldn't really do as much with Connor Bazelak because he's not as mobile, especially on one leg. But Brady is a, a better athlete. He can move around back there a little bit better. So maybe watch to see him get um, you know outside the pocket and you know in space to develop. Let some of those those routes downfield uh, develop a little bit more. And then he talked about you know getting the running game. Now they have a better feel of which side they can run on on certain plays. You know, you get those six games to kind of self-scout and see here's where our strengths and weaknesses are. All those weaknesses in the playbook, rip those out. Um, stop doing the things that aren't working and focus on the things that do work. So I think you'll see maybe a uh, – I use the word you trim the playbook, and Eli repeated it back in his answer said, yes, there's some trimming that goes on now. You don't – they're not going to add plays. I mean, maybe you, you tweak plays, but you don't just suddenly reinvent your offense during the bye week. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see, I think it'll be subtle, but maybe a, a difference And it, it should look better against a Vandy defense. That isn't very good. Um, that, that hasn't, they don't give up a lot of big explosive plays, but they kind of struggle to get off the field. That's their thing. So third down efficiency is going to be important in this game, red zone efficiency, especially. Uh, and if, if these teams kind of stick to who they've been, or at least a Vandy's defense does, then Brady should have a good game. There's no reason this offense shouldn't be able to move the ball. And I think maybe, we see a little bit more of those running backs lean on them a little bit more uh, because you know what you got there in Cody Schrader and Nate Pete, and they've been pretty solid as a tandem. So uh, it's not always all on the quarterback. We know that, but that's where, you know, the focus is going to be and people are going to watch closely. And if they make a change, you know, what happens then if, if, if Horn does come in and plays pretty well, then what's that change, you know, going forward, it can be really interesting. I, I don't see any kind of, massive drastic quarterback change as long as the season is there's still a lot on the table if you've got no chance to have any kind of a winning season or a bowl game then maybe all bets are off and you start thinking more about the future but um, that hasn't happened many times in Missouri you know even in the SEC they've had some rough seasons but never just totally destitute where you know you're just you're just planning for the future Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that it would not shock me if after the week of quarterback consternation and conversation, if he like comes out and just runs the damn ball. Yeah. In this defense time and time again, and just basically says, we're going to give Pete and Schrader carries. We're going to figure out who's hot that day. And we're going to hammer them um, because these guys have been running the ball well, and they're now going to be doing it against a defense that is not as tough as some of the ones they've, they've started to gain some momentum against. So keep, keep an eye on that one. Um, it seems to me like one of the things this offense has to do, and we can wrap it up after this, Dave, is like get more productive early series, early plays in, in, in a drive. Like, oh yeah, they're setting themselves up for failure on third down. Um, they've got to start getting those things shortened so they have a better chance of being able to run the ball. I mean, the, the first and second downs that result in no meaningful gains are killing this offense. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that, that would be something like we talked a lot about play calling with Eli. Um, and I think there's like this, this become this narrative of like, they got to take more shots down the field and, or they got to get Luther Burden the ball more and Burden's getting targeted a lot. And you've ran those numbers and presented them as such. And it's like for freshman in the SEC, he's not getting a lack of targets. He's getting a lot of targets. He's playing a lot. It's a matter of, can he make more from those plays? Can he catch more of those passes? Can they get him maybe in better looks? But the amount of times he's touching the ball is not the problem. They're not afraid to take shots down the field either. You look at those numbers conference-wide, and they're not some totally cautious offense. What jumps out is they're, they're putting themselves in spots where they're giving themselves really, really complicated, hard to, to convert third downs. And I think that's something that play calling can make a difference in. Uh, speaking of play calling, I'm, I'm working on this on my advance for uh, Saturday's game, and it'll be up later Friday at STL today. I'm really interested in this might be too inside baseball or inside football for some fans, but I'm really interested in the middle eight of games. Some coaches talk about this a lot. Uh, It's the final four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And there's some coaches that, that believe in these stats that the middle eight of games determine the outcome more so than the, how the beginning starts and anything that happens in the fourth quarter, because that's where momentum is captured or lost. So I've looked at every game this year on drives that are in the final four minutes of the first half, and then the first drives in the second half. Missouri actually has come out on top in six of their seven games, and the only one they didn't, it was even a field goal apiece in Missouri and Georgia. And that that is absolutely play calling. It's, it's play design. It's, it's deciding and clock management more than anything, probably. Also, it comes down to winning the coin toss because Drinkwitz is a defer coach. He said that the other day. They always defer because they want to get the first possession of the third quarter. And if you can manipulate the end of the second quarter to get the final possession, then you get two in a row, and that's two opportunities to score and basically stealing a possession from your opponent. They've been pretty good in the middle eight. And um, I, I think that's something to watch for in the season, in the rest of the season going forward. Uh, it's, it, I think it's, it's, it's just interesting. It's, it's, those are the parts of the game that, you know, maybe you're going for a beer or the game you're going to get a hot dog or something and you're not as consumed with, but those, those moments are super pivotal in deciding the end of the half, obviously, and then just almost setting the tone for the second half. So I'm, I'm writing about that. Uh, it's really interesting. Brady Cook was was good talking about it the other day, and and Eli was too. I mean, he was. I asked him one question about it, and he went back to middle eight. He calls it the swing eight, talking about swing eight play calling and clock management from two from 2020 in certain games where he felt like they they gained an edge or lost an edge here or there. Uh, so kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, I look forward to reading that on that at stltoday.com and in the page of the Post Dispatch. You'll be on hand for the homecoming game. Our colleague Benjamin Hockman will be joining you in Como, and I will be uh, I will be eagerly reading here from St. Louis. So keep up the good work, Dave, and hope folks enjoy the game. Happy homecoming, everybody. Um, be safe, have fun, and uh, we will uh, be sure to recap whatever happens or doesn't here next week at stltoday.com. Thanks to everybody who subscribes. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next time.